Okay. What do I need to do to uh, Okay, am I, am I on? Can we go, Rabbi Klein? Yes, yeah, we're good to go. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, um, <clears throat> I thought to, uh, to revisit the topic which um, I spoke about a number of uh, weeks ago because uh, of its tie-in to to the Sebra of Bechukotai. And the tie-in came from a discussion that we had uh, based on a Gomorrah in Masechet Shabbat. Uh, no, it was actually Brochus. I think we were still, we were still learning Masechet Brachot. And uh, we spoke about the Bracha of Borei Nefashot and uh, what the deeper meaning behind that Bracha was. Um, and uh, one, of the, one of the more uh, mystical interpretations by the Arizal of that particular bracha referred to a principle which we know as uh, as Gilgulim and that is uh, the principle of the uh, transmigration of souls neshamas that become reincarnated and um, and find their way into into the the natural world and so I spoke about that in, con in connection with that, with that bracha specifically because the statement of Borein of Ashod Rabot refers to that. And I'd like to just um, look at a bit uh, more of background as to, you know, as to where that concept comes from. And um, I recently acquired a Sefer when I was in America, which was a, a translation of the Arizal's Sefer Gilgulim. And... Um, I want to just share with you from that particular safer. I think it's available um, in golds, so you can uh, avail yourself of it. It's uh, it's it's uh, it's very interesting, very interesting material, um, and uh, the translation has done an amazing job of taking Reb Chaim Vital's uh, recording of the Rizal's teachings and uh, bringing it to us. The English-speaking speaking public who, uh, who don't normally have access to such, uh, to such ideas. So let's just begin as follows. Our sedra, or our second sedra, Pasha Bechukotai, um, opens in Bechukotai Teilechu. If you will follow my uh, statutes, Bet Mitzvotai Tishmeru Vasitemotam, and uh, faithfully observe my mitzvot. Um, I will allow it to rain in, uh, in the proper seasons. So that the earth shall yield its produce. And the trees of the field will yield their, their, their fruit. So it's interesting. This, uh, this particular pasuk needs to be or can be understood on a on a on a basic level, that there's a kind of a push from Akosh Baruch Hu, an encouragement that if we follow his mitzvot, that the natural world will respond to Shmirata mitzvot, and the the blessing will follow such that the 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 ground the, will yield its fruit, so that we can all uh, 
benefit. What's interesting is, is that there's this kind of a motivation from Akosh Baruch Hu, a, a push, if you will. Uh, Hashem is trying to convince the entire Jewish people, uh, telling them that if they, uh, if they observe the mitzvot, they receive uh, such and such a reward. And you'd possibly expect to, to have more than just the reward of having uh, the natural world uh, produce produce for us. Maybe you'd expect something that's much more spiritual than getting a, uh, a guarantee of, of, of physical uh, beneficence. And so we need to appreciate that. You know, what, is it, what does it mean? Is it really that's all it is for Shemirat HaMitzvot? So the big reward will be that Akash Baruch will respond and give us our, uh, our, our brocha here, begashmiut in the world of, uh, of the physical, and really there's no spiritual reward of Shemirat HaMitzvot. That really seems a little bit off. And so therefore, how do we interpret the idea that the reward for Shemirat HaMitzvot is uh, the reward of, of Natati Gishmachem Beitam? One could simply answer and say that it's one of the rewards. Akash Baruch is... Um, perhaps waxed eloquent elsewhere in the Torah, that Shmirat HaMitzvot will give us, um, you know, rewards elsewhere. But at, it's, it's, it's so, it is, it is a poignant point here that HaKosh Baruch Hu is giving us bracha uh, with such emphasis on, on, uh, on the Chomriyut, the success we have uh, in the quality of our lifestyle and what the, what the ground will yield. And uh, the Arizal really wants to, if we're going to look at his principle, Arizal is going to help us uh, uh, reinterpret or get a much deeper understanding and show that this Pasuk, which teaches us that is going to reach uh, a level where that in that line, which is so uh, basically translated as relating to Brocha in our physical world, Arizal's Chirush is going to be to, to apply this to to show you that the Pasuk is really hinting at a much deeper award and it's very much connected to the world, both of physical, but even more so the world, the world of, uh, of, of the spirit. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a look now. I'm going to, I'm going to try and show you um, by quoting from this particular safer um, to try and show you what, what really is happening over here. And this is a, a basic principle, it's like, you know, an opportunity to see this concept of uh, Gilgul Neshamot uh, in an original uh, translated work of Reb Chaim Vital's um, writings. So, I don't know if you've seen the book, but it basically looks like this. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's Shara uh, Gilgulim, and it's translated. Let's give credit to who did the work. Um... Gee, I didn't even know did the work. Let's see if it tells us. Pinchas Winston is his name. Pinchas Winston. He seems to have been uh, the one who contributed this. So, in this, uh, in the in the 22nd chapter of of the Sefer. So the Sefer here, uh, in this chapter, chapter 22, starts off as follows. The Da, 
כי כמעט אין אדם בארץ אשר ימלא את מגלגולים אלה. ומקבלים שם עונשם. And what we, will, we know well, that we have this concept of Gehinom, which is a, a, a concept of, of purification, of refinement, of, of burning off the, the dross that we've picked up as we've lived our lives. And uh, we understand that wicked people, after they die, go into Gehinom, and it's there that they receive punishment to atone uh, for their Averot, mit kaper lahem. ומשפטם י' בית חודש. And uh, the, the, pro, the period of atonement is for 12 months. So that's, let's call it, a, in, the work, in, the, in the ideas of the Arizal, this is a, a, a rasha. But as you'll see from his description, this, this rasha uh, is actually really in a, a relatively comfortable space, believe it or not. The Yeshu Shaim Shekatuv Bahem ואת נפש אויביך יקלענה בתוך כף הקהילה, קוראים הפסוק יא פרום שמואל א', פרק כ"ה, פסוק כ"ט, that uh, translated as, you know, um, and may he hurl away the soul of your enemies as one sh- shoots a stone from a slingshot. Before, those of us who've had background a little bit in uh, one or two Kabbalistic ideas, כף הקהילה, Is, a, uh, is, a, is an idea where uh, almost like the neshoma can be flung from one end of the world uh, to the other. So yeah, the Arizal, uh, the Reb Chaim Vital is writing about his teachings, teaching us that there's a group of Rishayim who go into Gehinom for 12 months, but then there's a group of Rishayim, Einam Zochim Likanais Legehinom. They don't even get into Gehinom. You've got to be quite good to get into Gehinom. Um, But, but people are, are in, in, so, in so much wanting uh, as, as the life to which they have led, And they don't merit to enter Gehinnom after their deaths to um, to purify uh, or to atone for their, to illuminate their, their sins. But the souls go from one place to another, from one bad place to another strange place in all these Gilgulim Mishunim, strange reincarnations. Ad Shemarei Konsho Ktsat, Yuchal Likanais Tachar Kach Bergeinom Yubeit Chodesh, Lid Kaper Legamrei. So people who fit into this unfortunate category of, let's call them Rishayim Gemurim, they, they've got to earn their ability to get into Gehinnom to, to have Kapora. And the, the process uh, by which they earn the, the schut to get into Gehinnom to, uh, to qualify for 12 months of purification is a very involved process. And says the Rizal, uh, there is no set time 
for for the, this group of people in this uh, in this level of rishut. You can, you know, it's a little scary this, but you can, these, these reincarnated forms can be around uh, for a very, very long time. You know, even to a, a thousand years. And it all depends on how much evil and how much, uh, you know, how much, how much damage the, the person, the person uh, caused. So, you know, if you have a, uh, if you ha- if you have the absolute misfortune of living in a time where, you know, you you uh, you, you you suffer the, ap- the absolute destruction of a of a Hitler Yemachshemor, so you can imagine that uh, he's not even getting into Gehenna many times soon. You know, it can take a thousand years, whatever that really means. You know, for for such a person to achieve, if you can even achieve uh, a kind of kapora for anything that you did on that level. Um, it's it's mamish. Anyhow, omnam atzadikim v'tamidechachamim ain or shel shel gihinom sholeted by him. But righteous people and genuine tamidechachamim are protected from the from the fires of 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 gihinom. Kemosha katuv zichonam livlacha al elisha acher. Uh, as it's written with regard even to this, to the famous story, the unfortunate story of Rebelusha bin Abuya, the Tana, who, uh, who after a, uh, an experience became a heretic and he was known uh, from that time on as Acher, as if uh, a- another, another person uh, was, uh, another, another entity possessed him. So even there, in that, with this kind of fellow, because he had so much of his life engaged in Torah, he has a certain amount of protection. Um, and, um, yeah. And they should not be able to get into this world because it's not a good thing for them. There's no righteous person in the world who does good but does not commit a, uh, a, trans- a transgression. Okay, so yeah, this is the, the first piece in, the, in this paragraph bit. Which introduces us to the concept of of Gilgul Nishamot as a kapora for uh, the way that we have uh, lived our lived our lives. Now, a righteous person after he leaves this world, he's ready. He's ready to ascend to the level of great hearts in the world to come. But not at one time. Uh, there's a process here. Omnam rather achar p'tirato yanishu lemarek avonot ayoter chamurim asherlo. With this, with this particular tzaddik, what 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 can what can or possibly will happen to him is that his tikkun comes not all at one time, but immediately after his death, they uh, they they have have a certain a time of kapara to eliminate his more severe sins after which time they place him into the first uh, area and 
על דקדוקי מצוות שלהם כחוט השרה, בסודו סביביו נשארה מאוד. ואז יעלו במחיצתו האמיתית הראויה אליו. So yeah, it's interesting description, or scary, even about a tzaddik. So a tzaddik, after he passes away, um, there are certain levels of punishment. First, they purify the more severe chata'im. And then he gets into, he, he's in a, in a first level in Olam Abba. And then it comes a certain amount of time, and he's able to elevate himself to a higher level. And that level of punishment deals with lighter sins. And then I think she get him to be mechaper to atone for mitzvot that he didn't do as well as he should. And eventually, after all of these different levels, he eventually gets into a point where, um, where they can leave him. Uh, they let him to let him elevate him to a true area, uh, fitting fitting for him. Okay, that's point number number two that he makes. So you've got Rishayim, Rishayim who get into Gehinom. You've got uh, Rishayim Gemurim, who have an entire process to go through before they even get the option of going to Gehinom. You have Tzadikim, who even their process of purification is, uh, is not simple. It's complex in the sense that different levels, different areas of, of if you can call it uh, refinement, um, are leveled at every single person. That's, uh, that's the description he has here. He goes on now to describe, I've just read through it a bit, uh, great Sadikim, David HaMelech, Daniel he refers to, we'll just leave that for a bit. And then he says now, going back to talk about uh, the process of those Rishayim who don't even make it into Gehinnom, what, what really happens over here? So the Rizal, uh, the Reb Chaim Vital tells, tells the following little anecdote or story. He says, I would be walking with my master, the Ari, uh, the Ari Akadosh, in, you know, uh, walking and talking and learning in, while we were walking through a field. And he would point out, as we're walking through the field, he would point out, you know, he says there's a, a person who's, who's known by the following name, Ruhut Tzadik, the Tamil Chacham, and uh, he was a righteous person and a Tamil Chacham. And as a result of one particular Avera that he committed in, in his life, he'd point to a rock and he'd say, in this rock is a, is a fragment of this Tzadik's soul, uh, or there's an, you know, he's mit galgel into this even, or tzomachze, or into this, or into this plant, the koyotzebo. Ukmoshit barela kaman, and as I will continue to elaborate, says Rebbeim Vital, umeolam loy kirbo morizal. Barizal never knew this person even was. He was able to sense uh, a neshama, you know, right in front of him in a particular domem, in other words, in a mineral or in a tzomayach, or in something which was a, a, a plant of sorts. And, 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 and those of us who were Talmidim, we used to go and investigate to see if there was such a person by this name and what, what kind of a life he lived. Uh, 
Saber, um, or Svar. We found the result to be unbelievably accurate and true. And um, there are so many of these stories. I can't even fill a book full of them with all these stories and experiences that I had, that I had with him. You would be able to even see, you know, 500 Amas, 250 meters away at a particular Kever Echad, a grave, among 20 other thousand graves. And you would be able to see, you would be able to see a Neshoma standing or hovering over that grave. This is what the person's name was. This is who he was. And, and he's receiving such and such a punishment for such and such an Avera. And again, uh, it was a most uh, unbelievable experience to watch this, to watch this happen. So this is what, uh, this is what Reb Chaim Vital now tells of his experience with Arizal. Now let's uh, get back a little bit to what we were looking at, and that is, again, the, the process of which uh, Rishayim found their reincarnated story happening. When like we've stated before, there's this process that takes place before Ginnam. And so the concept of Gilgul, as we know, these Neshamas going um, into all different places, whether it's, uh, whether it's, a, it's a mineral, a vegetable, an animal, or a, a human being, all of these Gilgulim take place before, as a, as a type of purification process, before a person has the merit to even get into Gehinnam. Can go into anything. And Neshama can be Magalgal itself into any area of nature. And none of us can really escape. Uh, the majority of people will not escape these types of reincarnations. And the reason is because a person can't receive the punishment um, until he exists physically as a body uh, with, with a soul. Um, so you know, once they reincarnate, he can bear and feel the pain, and that's a time for his sins. Uh, congruent to the extent of the sin, so will be the way in which he reincarnates. And so the, 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 the level of sin will determine whether the Gilgul Neshama will take place into a mineral, then a vegetable is one level higher, then if you were a bit better into an animal, and if you were the, you know, out of all the reincarnated states, it's best to get into to a, uh, a human being. Um, 
לידם איזה עוון. And so here what we're talking is, uh, these, uh, these reincarnated souls can find themselves in, in, in everything that exists within nature, in domain, mineral, tomeach, uh, plant, plant kingdom, uh, high animals, and, uh, and even human beings. Okay, that's the, that's the third point. So I'm just going to make a few more points, and then we'll try and see if we can, uh, you know, just a little bit more further here, and then we'll have all the information we can use now to try to, to explain the nature of the Pasuk, what it means in Bechukotai Telechu, that the reward for Bechukotai Telechu is Vnatati Gishmechem Beitam, Baaretz, Nadnai Yivula, etc. So just, so this is what he says. It quotes a Pasuk, um, from uh, from Pashat Bereshit, let's have a look at it. Um, the Pasuk over here, Perek Lamed Vav. Perek Lamed Vav, Pasuk Lamed Aleph. It's a Pasuk that, uh, that none of us would really get that excited about. But the Pasuk is essentially at the end of Pasha Vayishlach. And uh, all the Pasukim are doing to us uh, simple folk uh, is just relating to us the entire uh, genealogy of Esav and Esav's children. And these are all the kings that you can find uh, ruling over the land of Edom. That's the Pasuk. Yeah, the Arizal goes ahead and uh, interprets this pasuk in the most uh, in the most most amazing way. He says, "What's the point of the Torah telling us that uh, that all these people, uh, Asaph's children and grandchildren, Edom, etc. What, what what do we really need to know all these 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 things for? And what does it mean that these were the kings that ruled in Edom, Lifnaim Loch Melech, before?" Uh, Akosh Baruch Hu sort of ruled there. So he says like this, he says, based on this Pasuk, These seven kings that are recorded here as ruling at the time of Eretz Edom, these are, these are, seven, these are seven kings, they represent... Um, something completely different than the simple meaning. And that is, even though the simple verse is talking about Esav and his descendants who ruled uh, the territory of, of Edom, east of Eretz Israel, before Amishal got there. But in, in Kabbalah, the, these names refer to pre-creation, pre-creation of this world, energy spheres, spherot, that Akosh Baruch Hu interacted with before our world was created. And these pre-existing spherot before our world, um, so to speak, w- broke away or shattered, uh, imploded upon themselves. They, uh, I guess they died. Um, and the bro- from the broken remains, the creation of our world was eventually, was eventually used. And uh, Arizal uses this pasuk, you know, to, to, explain this, to explain this out. That's what they refer to. These Zayn Melachim Asher Meitu, and um, yeah, so then, so then he, 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 he you know gives a whole description about this, 
uh, that that the different parts, depending on how refined they were, ended up, uh, you know, reaching different parts of the human beings that we that we interact with. Um, and they were separated for the various bria, yitzira, asiya. It gives a whole a story over here. And there are more, the more refined parts of asiya uh, is hu adam, And this is the this is the so-called hierarchy again that he that he uh, that he refers to. And so now, what happens as far as we are concerned? And so, what what he tries to explain over here is um, yeah, I just want to see the notes here. Um, so yeah, he says as follows: What really causes uh, these Gilgulim to land up in different places? So uh, he says it depends on how one behaves, even to such a point where you can define the following: A person does something wicked. So that 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 avera, they cause the sparks of kedusha in man to descend to the level of inanimate in the inanimate kingdom, and others to the level of the vegetable kingdom or animal kingdom. And they all correspond to the Avedas uh, that we do. So even if you take, for example, the following, a person uh, eats some food, and when you eat food, the food's kosher. There's no Avera associated with the food. But, but, but when you eat the food, you've eaten it in such a way that you don't really need the food. You're actually full. It's just a psychological meal like... Uh, most of or me fall prey too often. You just got to eat, so you eat. Even in that in that regard, says Darizal, what's happening at that point in time when you eat something is that you've become you've shown because you don't need to eat it, despite it being kosher and everything and no isur. But because you don't need to eat it for your satiation and you eat it, you show that you've become a shuba to the piece of uh, to the food, and that itself is a is a he died the root of the madriga of a human being. It, a, a refined human being doesn't do that. A refined human being doesn't just eat for the sake of eating. You eat because you need to eat. Halavai, we could, I could be on that madraga, but you just get used to eating, so you become a shubha to that. Even a person who does that says Darizal needs a tikkun, and um, and and that and that's how to speak that kind of stain on your soul because you've shown that you're now a much more of a physical human being trapped by physical concerns more than a spiritual human being, even that kind of scenario, a person has to, has to do tshuva for. And, uh, and the way that, that, that a person does tshuva for that is that when, when somebody else who needs to eat the food, your neshama will get trapped in a piece of food. And when somebody else eats it, l'shem shamayim, kadat v'chadin, and he makes a bracha over that food, then you, your neshama, your gild neshama, which is implanted in that food, Gets a tikkun, gets a gets a repair, and the neshama, your neshama can leave the food. The gilgul neshama can leave the food, and you can be elevated to the next level that you need on your on your way out. That that's atkadekach. This this idea goes, and this is this is the interpretation of the Arizal on that bracha bereinu fashot, where the Arizal says as follows: uh, We eat protein, we eat protein, and on protein. We uh, we make uh, we make a bracha, you know, shakol. 
and then we eat, uh, you know, we eat we eat vegetables, etc. We make bari all the different brachas. When we finish eating, when we finish eating them, we say bari nefashot. What does it mean? Baruch atah Hashem lokayin melech haolam. Bari nefashot rabot. Akosh Baruch has has created many life forms. What kind of life forms? Not just physical human beings and animals. No. Bari nefashot rabot. Akosh Baruch has created the opportunity for Gilgul neshamot. These neshamot, these nefashot that are our reincarnated components. Um, these nefashot have to have a tikkun. Akosh Baruch has created them. What they are missing, what, what, their, what their deficiency is. Akosh Baruch has created people who have sinned, now created a nefesh, which is chaser. And this nefesh, which is chaser, goes into the food. And when a person makes a bracha on the food and eats it, then the, the, that, 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 that tikkun takes place for the neshama that's in there. So, Akosh Baruch, we bless you for creating the opportunity for all of our component parts of our neshama which need tikkun, that find their way into foods that other people eat properly and they make a bracha over it and everything is done as, as, as it's supposed to be. That, that process creates an, an opportunity for the neshama that was stuck there, waiting for some sort of atonement to regain its life, so to speak, and elevate itself uh, back into the different levels of, uh, of purification. To give them life again. Uh, we bless Akosh Baruch who is the source of all life. Yeah, specifically referring to life of spiritual entities that need refinement and atonement. This is the Rizal's interpretation of the bracha that I spoke about a few months ago. And this is now the source by which you can see in the writings of Reb Chaim Vital that join up with us and give us the background as to how we can interpret, um, you know, that, that bracha of, uh, of Borei, Borei Nefash. That's the, that's the nature of this. So now that we've more or less uh, finished the the slide, to see if there's anything more. Um, oh, so now as follows: now we're done with the Sefer Gilgulim, and we can now go back. We can now go back to the our pasuk that we that we started our our analysis with. What did the pasuk say? The pasuk said, "In you know, what does it, it mean over here? So it means like this, a person who follows Akosh Baruch Hu's mitzvot faithfully, then this, the, the rains will come in their season and the earth shall yield its produce and the trees of the field their fruit. And you will, be, you will eat and be satisfied, etc. What does this, all this mean? This means that the neshamot, that are present within the food will ascend betara uh, or kapara. They will ascend to a higher to a higher level. So there are neshamas that are reincarnated into domain in your fields, into tzomeach in your field, into behemot that are in your into chai that are in your your field, and and therefore by fully observing the mitzvot, you allow the neshamas that are trapped within nature to ascend to the level of a kapora that they are able to achieve. And so we have to preserve our divine level um, 
while engaged in all manner of physical activity and eating specifically um, to be able to liberate these divine sparks that are that are that are captured within uh, the food the food itself and if we don't then then it falls and this is this is what this is the so-called kabbalistic mystical meaning behind uh, psukim like this you know you'll eat your bread uh, to satiation and 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 you'll uh, dwell securely in your land all this is talking about these neshamas the neshamas of people and those that are living that, that all help this uh, you know um, this process of tahara for for various uh, you know for various neshamas <clears throat> the Sefer Likutim over here is quoted um, the Balatanya is quoted as saying uh, again from the Arizal that uh, again I'm not sure exactly what this means I haven't read uh, that much further in the in the safer yet but um it's interesting that there are certain times during the year that the so-called rain comes and as a result everything in its own time what it means in its own unique time is that there's a specific time during the year that neshamas get the opportunity to elevate themselves um to a higher level so just to read the last bit to you some an ashomas gilgul that was trapped in a in a mineral doesn't have the opportunity to to you know get back into a a a you can only go from a domem to a tzomach, from a mineral to a vegetable in your elevated level of of decomposition physically but um you know the different level from mineral to vegetable where vegetable is higher. This takes place only certain times during the year. So during Av Elul Tishrei Cheshvan, we can elevate this Neshama from Domeim to Tzomeach. And if you want to get the Neshama to reincarnate from a Tzomeach, the Baal Chai, you can only do that during Nisan, Iyar, Sivan and Tammuz. And if you want to help the Neshama get to a human being from an animal, Kislev Teveit Shvat Adar. So, yeah, you know, it's very, uh, I wouldn't say it's a subject matter that I, I know too much about, but just given the opportunity of the Swarim that are around now and translated, um, we, start, we start to see them in the original a bit, how they, how they really work, and that this whole entire Sefer of the of of the Arizal's teachings, Shara Gilgulim, the whole entire book, is is uh, is um, a discourse on how one understands and appreciates Neshamas going from one journey to another journey, and uh, as the Arizal says, says in other places, uh, the Gaon Vilna quotes Al Kabbalah as well that uh, the Arizal stated as follows: that true justice, true honest, true true justice in Akosh Baruch's world, when we always say. Baruch does only righteous. Um, only you know th- this idea that Akosh Baruch only meets out justice. This is very hard to digest in our world. We've got so many problems, or we have so many examples of what we see as Tzadik Viralo, Rasha Vetovlo, people who who in our in our minds don't deserve uh, the suffering they get, and 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 people who are hilarious and and, and really really flourish in this world we, we know all of this this is this is the biggest uh, um you know this is the the mysterium tremendum this is the biggest riddle that even moshe Rabbeinu himself had trouble with 
Tzadik Beralo Rasha Betovlo. All of this, you know, how do we square that off with Atzur Tamim Polok is called Rachav Mishpat? It doesn't look like a Kosh Baruch is called Rachav Mishpat. It doesn't look like to us. And so the Arizal says like this, These are the, these are the principles of justice to achieve justice in the world. These are the justice principles. And it gives, of course, that's the introduction to Pashat Mishpatim and all of uh, Seder and Zikin. But the Arizal says, It's impossible to see, uh, you should not expect to see um, Akosh Baruch Hu's justice clear to you in the world in which we live. Because our world only sees the neshamas that are being impacted directly to a degree. And we have spiritual myopia. We, we, are, we are short-sighted because we only live for a certain time in a certain generation. But we cannot fathom the journeys that the neshamas, the original neshamas and their splinter neshamas have taken from the very first time that Akash Baruch created the base neshama, which is being impacted. And, uh, you know, we shake our head when we witness what looks like Tzadik Ralo Rasha Betovlo. In other words, pure justice cannot be achieved without the principle of Gilgulim. You know, so we, we are, unlike uh, the, the philosopher John Locke, would like us to believe that we are tabula rasa. We are a complete clean slate with no, with no so-called pre-programmed uh, DNA whatsoever. From a Kabbalistic point of view, there's a lot of DNA, a lot of spiritual DNA in every one of us. We are all neshamas, old neshamas that have uh, transmigrated from who knows when. And, um, you know, as a result, uh, you know, we all, uh, we all find ourselves uh, in different journeys, you know. Um, and uh, so this is what the Sefer does, uh, as, uh, you know, entertaining as it is. It, it tries to, it, it's like mind-boggling because we're not used to talking in these terms and we, we often think that this is uh, almost uh, unbelievable. But this is, this is, there is our writing, Reb Chaim Vital bringing it to us and, uh, you know, it being discussed. And uh, I'll just end off with uh, another discussion which is of a similar nature using the Arizal's ability to trace Neshomas and various, various, um, you know, various people doing, you know, going through these whole, these, these journeys. But um, it's interesting as follows. At the end of our, at the end of uh, our, uh, our Sefer, at the end of Pasha B'chukotai, we now find ourselves Perak Zain. Yeah, we're talking about all the arachin, various different different values to what people um, donate and describe and maestros that they have to give, etc. So the Torah tells us as follows. When we're talking about tithing any type of cattle or sheep, um, we, we organize the way to maestro our animals in such a way that Rashi brings, that we create a scenario, we teach each farmer to create a scenario, a, a gateway, where only one, only one animal at a time can, uh, can pass through. And this, the farmer stands there with a, with a, with a, with a, with a, with a staff that is uh, you know, dipped in paint, and as every tenth animal goes through this narrow opening, you know, we say in Musa von Rosh Kakarat, Draw just like a farmer, you know, marks the, you know, marks the so-called um, member of the flock. 
So this becomes Hasiri Ye Kodesh Lashem. Every tenth one becomes Kadosh to Takosh Baruch. That's a simple technical pasuk which tells us that every tenth animal, there's a, an union of, of Maiser that you have to give. Maiser Bahima becomes Kadosh and you give it to, as a Korban, you give it to the Kohen, etc. You have to bring it as a Korban. And uh, that's, the, that's the pasuk. He has, a, he has a Kabbalistic way of looking or a, a Kabbalistic type way of looking at that particular pasuk using these principles. You want to see how, how people looked at it using these principles of, of, of Gilgulim. So believe it or not, it's interesting that uh, this pasuk has a reference to what we know as the story of uh, the ten martyrs. So we read about it on Tishabai, we read about it during the Avodav Yom Kippurim. There were 10 Rabonim who over a period of, let's say, 150 years were executed publicly by the Roman, the Roman government. And uh, it's interesting that the Rabonim of the time, when they, when they looked back and they wrote the Tfilot or they looked back at what had happened, they devised in, in, in Midrashic type approach they devised a concept called Asarugaimahut. You would never know that there were ten martyrs. There wasn't like an execution where each one of them were brought out one after the other and killed all ten of them and then done. We, we wouldn't have seen that. We only know that based on our Torah Shabbat, working it out, that after, uh, after two generations, let's call it, there were ten unique tzaddikim that were killed, but they weren't all killed at the same time. And not everyone was separate either, but, but they, they weren't all killed at the same time. And so when looking back to try and fathom what Akosh Baruch Hu was teaching us or what, what, was, what spiritual tikkun was going on there, we, we are taught to, to darshan. I, I don't know. I need, to, I need to look it up, but I don't know who the original darshan of this principle is. Who, who taught this principle that, that across a span of years, 10 executions among many are considered a unit, a theme, a concept of Asarar Ugaimachut. Either way, we have this concept and we, 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 you know, it's part of our Masorats. It's in the davening completely. And the davening has been around for a very, very, very long time. So this Midrashic idea of Asararu Gaimalchut, why, why did it happen? Why, why do they see it happening? And so Chazal developed this concept that it's a tikkun, it's a tikkun for Kali Israel as, as a whole. And specifically, the tikkun is seen as a tikkun for the Sinat Chinam, the baseless hatred that the brothers of Yosef showed to him and the, the subsequent sale of Yosef into, into slavery. That whole, that whole story is apparently woven into the fabric of this particular, uh, the, this particular idea. And so Chazal make up this, uh, they make up the story as if there was a Roman king and there could have been a Roman Caesar and he may have asked this question at some point, but it's, it, it's much more midrashic in nature where the Roman Caesar says, you know, he, he brings in an audience of Rabonim and he says to them, you know, I've, I've read through your Torah and I've seen as follows. I've seen that, um, I've seen that in Sefer Shemot, you know, like a Roman is going to do this, but okay. I've seen in Sefer Shemot the follow, following Din, the Pasuk says in Perek Chav Aleph, Pasuk Tet, Pasuk Tet Zayin of Shemot, if a man is found, you know, to have kidnapped and sold one of uh, his brothers of Amishel, um, what's the din? So the din is that the, 
the thief, uh, the thief shall die. So the Roman king then says, well, you know, you had 10, 10 souls, 10 brothers who kidnapped uh, your safe and therefore their lives should be forfeit. And I want you to, you want you to uh, choose 10, 10 Tamide Chachamim that are going to be a tikkun for each one of the deaths of the, uh, each one of the brothers. It's as if the 10 brothers who were engaged in your safe sale, then the Shomers were Megalgal through the generations awaiting a tikkun. So, you know, these neshamas of the greatest of our people are awaiting a tikkun as the result of Mechirat Yosef. And only through the generations, that, that particular generation of the Churban Amigdash with the Tanoim, etc., they waited those, what, 2,000 years, you know, to, to eventually get a, to get a, a pure tikkun. And all those Asarah Malchut, the 10 martyrs, are all dying. Letakein, one of the brothers who, um, you know, who was involved in, in the sale of Yosef. The interesting uh, question now is, but if you take a husband of all those brothers that were involved in the sale, you've only got nine brothers. You know, Ruvain, Ruvain left to go home, so he wasn't there. Binyamin was, didn't, didn't participate. Uh, and Yosef is, Yosef is the twelfth brother, or you know, he's, he's the last of the brothers. So there are three brothers missing from the twelve, there's only nine. So how do, how do you get to, how do you get to ten? Where did Hazal get the 10th man from into this, into this unit. So Rashi actually quotes the Midrash explaining how this happened. If you're interested to see the Rashi, um, in Barashid Lamed Zayin, Pasuk Lamed Base. This is right in the middle of the story where they, uh, they took Yosef's uh, fancy coat and they dipped it in, in the blood of the Seirizim that they shechted. Then they sent the ketonet to Yaakov Avinu, and they brought it to their father. We found this. Can you identify this or recognize this? If this is your, your son's uh, tunic or not. And of course, we know the story. Yaakov, he, he, he recognizes it and he says, it's for sure my kid's uh, tunic. And it must be that a wild animal told him to bit Taraf, Taraf Yosef. Then by cry Yaakov Simlotav and Yaakov enters into a state of mourning that doesn't leave for a long time. So Rashi quotes interesting a midrash, a midrash from Bereshit Rabbah. On the Dibur Amatchil, Chayarachalatu, a wild animal ate him. Hashem revealed to Yaakov Avinu that uh, what had happened to him. Says Rashi, quoting this medrash, "Lefi shaharimo uklalo et kol mi sheigale veshatfu lakoshbaruchu imahem." They made a, the brothers made a chayrim. A chayrim uh, means a curse, um, and they and they cursed everybody who would, who anybody out of all of the, the group of brothers who would reveal the nature of what had gone down there that day. They they, uh, they 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 would curse them. That's, that that the chayrim means that you die. And the word chayrim is the you know it's the rashi It's like the, the word turned around is ramachay varav. Your whole entire body should uh, should literally um, you know just uh, be be for destruction. Should just collapse. So chayrim is a, is a curse of death. And they they made a shutaf with a kosh baruchu. 
they, they were nine brothers, and they, so to speak, made a Baruch the tenth man. Yitzchak, though, wasn't in the Chayrim. Yitzchak, Yitzchak, you know, was, you know, but he knew. Yitzchak through Ruach HaKodesh knew. Can you imagine? Yitzchak knows the story. So why didn't Yitzchak tell him? Yitzchak said to himself, If HaKosh Baruch wanted to reveal to Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov Avinu has the Madrega of prophecy, HaKosh Baruch will tell him what, if HaKosh Baruch never told him, must be, I'm allowed to tell him. So Yitzchak never told him. So poor Yaakov Avinu, as his father who knows what's going on, can save him from all this Agnos Nefesh for, for 20 plus years, 22 years, and he doesn't tell him because Yitzchak realizes if HaKosh Baruch wanted to tell him, HaKosh Baruch would have told him. But he didn't. So who's the tenth man in the whole exercise over here? Nine brothers, now Kosh Baruch is the minion man. That's how Chazal understand this concept. And therefore now there are there are ten there's one rov, nine Rabonim through the time of the Khuban Amigdash are uh, are connected nine of the brothers, and Akosh Baruch Hu is connected connected one of the brothers. So yeah, the number of uh, number of Mephorshim Ask, uh, you know, I'll pick Kabbalah over here. Who, who is, uh, who's the 10th man? Who, who's the man that, 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 that represents, that, Bar, that represents, so to speak, um, Hakosh Baruch Hu. So, um, Chazal come up with this idea that Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva who was killed, Rabbi Akiva has this chus, so to speak, of representing Hakosh Baruch Hu, according to this particular theory. You know, we have other theories that, that Rabbi Akiva was a Gilgul uh, of Shimon, but, you know, I have to work with a theory that works for the year. So uh, the the theory here is uh, Rav Shimon from Anthropoli, uh, Astropoli, that's, yeah, he's quoted by saying, I don't know who else says, that that's Rabbi Akiva who's, who's punished on behalf of uh, of Hashem, so to speak, you know, in, 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 this, in this scenario. That's, that's the chidush of, of this, uh, of this Kabbalistic theory about the concept of 10 martyrs, how they're 10, and Akosh Baruch Hu is, uh, is, is represented by one of the people, namely Rabbi Akiva. So wh- where's the source for all of this? Where, what's the proof? Anyway, you want to, since I'm on Zoom, you can't like laugh at me, but uh, I will share with you this, uh, this Chirush. And the Chirush is as follows. In the words that says, V'chol masar bakar v'atzon, for every, you know, cattle or flock, kol asher yavor tachat this pasuk is a is a remez to this particular to this particular incident. The words v'chol masar they are rashi tevot. The vav v'chol vav chaf lamed v'yadu chulam. Everyone should know the lamed lama maaser mem ayin shinresh mem lama mate. Ayin, Akiva, Shin, Shehaya, Reish, Roe. So Vachol Masar is Rashay Tevot, Yadu Chulam, Lama Mait Akiva, Shehaya Roe. He was a shepherd of what? Bakar Vatzon, cattle and sheep, and Kolashayavot Tachrashavet. So he was a Roe, and all those who died, Kolashayavot, you know, literally, Yavor goes under. Tachar Shavit represent one of the tribes, one of the Shvatim. But Rabbi Akiva had no relationship to any of the Shvatim, so why was he killed? 
You have to conclude Hasiri, the tenth man, who had uh, Rabbi Akiva, who had no relation. He's descendant from Gairim. He's either Gairim himself, his father was a Gairim. He's descendant from Gairim, so he wasn't even part of Klal Israel. But because because Rabbi Akiva, uh, he was he wasn't even affiliated through the natural means of of relationship to Amisrael. He's a Gair, comes from Gairim. So he, Rabbi Akiva, therefore, is Kodesh Lashem. He was martyred on behalf of Akosh Baruch This is a, this is a, a you can call it a fantastic, uh, unbelievable kind of interpretation. But you see how far, you see how far the, the principle of Gilgulim go. It's an example of how uh, you can take a, a neshama and you can try and identify that neshama. And somehow those people who have the, the knowledge um, within the world of Torah can identify neshamas all the way back from the Avot and put them all the way back in the really the Zmanatanaim. To, to come along and tell you such a uh, fantastic story where the concept of Asara Harugay Machut is based on the whole concept of Gilgulim, at least according to this theory, and how, you know, the, even the intricacies of the story are worked out. And in, a, in Torah, in Pasha Bukhukotai, there's a Pasuk, which seems to be only talking about Maaseh Bahima and to the, the people like us who are, you know, not well endowed with all this Chokhmah, we can only see it on its most basic level. But you see what kind of drush, what kind of sod can be pulled out of the, the letters of the Torah in such a technical, in a technical pasuk like this to, um, to give us an understanding of such a highly charged uh, and difficult scenario story in, uh, in Amishal's history. So this is a, an opportunity in Parashat Bechukotai. As I say, I apologize if you heard some of the ideas in one of the other, in other the shurim that I've given. But it's uh, an idea just to introduce the concept and give you a link to the Sedra to follow up. If you like this kind of a safer, as I mentioned, you can go and buy it. But it gives an inter, an, an, you know, a link. Uh, it's a hook into the concept of Gilgulim that uh, we can find in Parashat Bukhukotai. Okay, uh, I will uh, leave you there. Um, I hope it wasn't too much reading from 